Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. We have another wonderful interview segment. We've got to thank the gods for the scheduling purposes here because it's not always the easy thing. But I have uh, Michelle Weatherman, uh, uh, Weatherall, on, on, the, on, the, on the line here, uh, a great poet. Um, I know um, my uh, journal, Ariel Chart, actually has published a few of his poems. His latest project is Sun and Moon. I know he's out there uh, promoting and, and marketing it, and he believes in that sort of thing. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm serious about that because I, I, I literally have people that, that tell me. I don't know if I can market it. I mean, it's one thing to tell me, uh, Mark, I'm not really sure if I could be on the show. Uh, I'm a little self-conscious and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. And that's another thing to say, I won't go to a, a book signing or I won't do much on the Internet to promote my stuff. And I'm not really sure if I even believe in that because once you don't do that sort of thing, I don't know what the purpose of your writing is other than maybe you just read it to yourself in, in a corner of a room of your house. Yeah. Cause that's all you can go. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's one of the biggest things when you do decide to take the step to publish yourself or get your work out there is you, it's up to you to get your stuff on the shelves in people's hands. And more in my experience, more often not at book signings, it's not so much the book they're buying, as opposed to they're buying you, they're meeting you, they're, you know, it's that engagement that they get interested in. Because as a local author, that's you can for a lot of people be intriguing because they get to see into the mind of the person they're going to be reading. And I'm, I'm convinced of the truth of what you're saying. I think one of the problems for a lot of writers is they forget sometimes that this is the 1950s. We're, we're in the 21st century right now, which means that, yes, in, in many instances, what you're doing is selling something yourself, which is an actual concept of sales. And yes, your book is a book, but also in many ways, it's a product. And those are the yeah. things, salesmanship and, and product, that, that freak out a lot of writers because they, they think it's, it's, it's soil. They think it, it, it's seemly and they, they think it, it, it doesn't uh, have much merit. But quite frankly, it's the next step in the process. Oh, it's a huge step in the process. I mean, in my experience, I think the vast majority of the work, I'd say close to 85% of the work is marketing and getting your name out there and just getting the exposure. It's any methods you can get. If it's on podcasts, if it's on radio, if it's on TV, if it's on event, if it's on special events, whatever, it's all good. It's all positive. Yeah, I talked repetition, to a writer uh, recently and he was telling me that one of the things he did, well, actually two of the things he did on a regular basis is he did this new bar thing where people read in the bars and people have drinks yeah. and they're just listening to you read your stuff and they could buy the books. And yeah. then he also goes to various conventions, uh, yeah. those those fantasy, sci-fi, Scottish, all you know those type of co yeah. conventions. And he has a table there and he sells his books that way. That's what yeah. his does. That's what his little gig is. And yeah. and he he was telling me about. I mean, you you write a book and it could be a, a year afterwards doing that sort of stuff. 
Yep. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the other trick, too, is finding those little niche markets because you never know what works or doesn't work. I mean, one of the things I do, I do like uh, book signings at Chapters and Kohl's and I do events in the market downtown in Ottawa where I live. Um, I also do like a couple of years ago, I got roped into doing a psychic fair the first time and I had gone in, I had set up and it wasn't a church basement, but it kind of had that feel. And when I first showed up, I sat up and I was sitting there thinking to myself, good Lord, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and I actually cleared out everything I had brought with me. So it was this, there was this crossover market in there. And I've been, and they do two events a year and I've been doing it for the past four years now and it's fantastic, but I would have never thought that. And, you know, I, I got invited last summer to do a book signing at a bank, which was the most bizarre thing ever, but you never know. You, you've got to experiment with these things. One of the things I've done recently is I try in the beginning of the year, near the end of the year, I try to do smaller, more intimate venues like coffee houses. And yes, books are there available for sale, but the focus on these events isn't so much sales as it is to literally sit down and interact with the people because, you know, have a coffee, have a drink with them and talk. And usually I'll do it with another author. So there's a pair of you and you, you can get, it's amazing some of the stories you hear and you really get into a lot of details with people with that. And that kind of exposure is great because it's genuine, right? It's not just you in a salesman mode. You're just, you're talking with people. Yeah, but it's it's what they still call in business networking. I mean, we can play oh, with, we can play with these words all we want, and I don't always recommend it because I'm very anti Orwellian about that sort of stuff. Just call it what yeah. it is. But yeah. in the end, that could be an investment for your book future because if you oh, sat sure. in one of those things for a couple hours and let's say you you met you know ten, twenty, thirty people, they now have a way to reach you. They might reach out later on. Hey, uh, right. hey, Jim, um, you know, it's nice to meet you. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about that book and blah, blah, blah. My girlfriend thinks about them. But... So you never know what sales could come later. It doesn't have to be That's at right. that moment, but they could be later just because you started establishing a rapport. I had that exact same thing happen. I did a, a, a meet and greet at a small coffee shop where I live named Morning Owl. And then it was a week later or two weeks later, I was at Chapters. And this woman came in, did a double take, and she saw the book there. And she made the connection right away. She walked over and then she ended up buying the entire series. And again, it was like you said, it's you're making a progression of they see the cover. They remember the cover. They see an event going on. Whether or not they come up to you or not, they still remember that. Right. And that stuff is worth a million dollars. You you can't buy that kind of exposure. No, you, you can't. And that's that's really what marketing is all about. And I really think that. If writers just start sitting down and being as creative with that as they are with the, with their writing, you know they can get a lot of a lot farther in, in what they want to do, and, and they don't have to be so much uh, under duress all the time. What do I do? What do yeah. I do? Well, you got to come up with some other ideas. This is such a free market to do whatever you want, and but unfortunately, I think for lots of people, freedom it, it, to to them is almost like they're, they're being hostage because now they actually have to think for themselves and actually that's do right. for themselves. I'm sorry, yeah. but there, there there isn't a a a book fairy out there that's going to help you. You got to do it yourself. Yeah, no, after that, you couldn't be more right. You have to knock on doors. You have to take chances. You have to experiment. I mean, and I'll be the I'll be the first one to be honest about this. Not everyone works well. There are some venues that don't lend themselves well to it. There's some that lend themselves incredibly well, and it's just you you get a feel for it as you go forward. And my definition in writing is of, de of failure really comes down to 
I don't think there's any way to fail other than not trying. I think the only definition of failure is giving up. Everything else is a positive. Uh, and, and I agree. And I tell folks this to a certain extent on a regular basis. I, I remind them that oftentimes uh, failure really isn't failure. It's just a, a way for you to clear out some idea that didn't work, and now you can go work on something else. Sometimes yeah. failure actually boosts your creativity because you get to that mode where, uh, and then something comes out where it wouldn't have come out before because maybe you needed to hit rock bottom, yeah. or maybe you needed to hit something that you kept thinking was going to be true, and, and turns out it was not going to be true. Oftentimes, failure is really the, the catapult we need for success. Yeah, yeah, it's a catalyst. It can be a catalyst. Yeah, I'm I'm convinced of that. That's why I always like to listen to different things that people do to try to sell stuff because I don't know what's going to work for me or not. But what I do know is that when they are doing different things, they're actually trying to expand the universe and and break outside of the box or or the envelope, as they say, to figure out what could work out there. Because in the end, it's about trying to get your message, your book, your face, whatever out there so that folks know that you exist and it it exists this way you can actually uh, start getting things promoted because remember once you build up a library of stuff they might actually buy some other things later on after they bought that one thing so you could still promote the past and the present and another another very good technique too is like i said with some of the smaller coffee shops i like doing it with another author and what's nice about it is I've had some book signings at some of the big bookstores. What I've noticed is those moments when there's a lull and you're by yourself, people are hesitant to come up to you. I'm assuming because they're afraid of that sale, hard sales pitch, you know, doesn't mean that you're going to do that, but that's what they don't want to see. But when you're engaged with somebody, that's when you see people walking up because they feel safe. They can check things out. They don't have to engage with you if they don't want to. And when there's a pair of you, like yourself and another local author, they have that security blanket there. They can engage freely. And it makes a big difference, that kind of thing. And the other bonus with that, too, is when there's a pair of authors, ideally what you do is you're cross-pollinating your fan base. And it doesn't, you know, I could be with somebody that writes, I don't know, romance. It has nothing to do with what I write. But they might, their fan base might not be interested in my stuff, but they have husbands and they have wives and they have friends and brothers and sisters. And that's how you build those fan bases up. It's exposure like that. Uh, not only are you preaching to the choir, you're definitely educating the audience because it's always important for them to hear this portion of what writing is all about. Because we get a lot oh, of yeah. folks here that um, they they believe that once they finished the book and they got it edited, that that was the end of it. They're all done now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord, no. That's yeah. just the beginning of the adventure. Yeah, it might be the beginning of the beginning. I mean, that's how yeah. much of an adventure it, it, it tends to be. Yeah, but, yeah. For sure. I think that I mean, the, the more realism they hear, the better. Yeah, yeah. And you got to take a jump at anything that comes your way. Like one of the things I got, I found was so interesting was last summer I got invited to be a um, beauty pageant judge, the local beauty pageant, right out of the blue. And I, you know, I didn't use these words. I was toted as a celebrity, uh, celebrity author. So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna take that for what it is, right? And I have a friend of mine that was kind of giving me a hard time saying, well, what does it have to do with writing? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with writing, but it's exposure. You get your name up there, people hear about you, and then that carries forward. You get another circle of people, you get a circle of models. Actually, in this particular case, 
Um, I had a 30th anniversary release of my, one of my first books called The Symbiote. And one of the models ended up being the face of one of the characters on the cover. And it's a small world. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Connections, right? It does help. Yeah. It really, it really does. I, I, I think it's important to, a topic for, for us to, to, to converse, in, but mainly because folks sometimes don't realize that marketing now has become so important that it now becomes a job that all publishers pretty much throw right on you, no matter if it's a yeah. small one, a mid-sized one, a large one. In fact, if, if you know anything about publishing these days on some of the bigger companies, one of the first things they ask you is, what's your marketing plan? And yeah. if you can't give them a plan or a plan doesn't make any sense, you, you don't have to worry about them ever publishing because they won't even read the book. Don't matter, right. The book could be great, but guess what? If your marketing plan stinks, yeah. they're not yeah. even going to look at you. That's how serious it's become right now. Yeah. I got accepted by a, a British publisher. I had to turn them down because it's like, yeah. let me get this straight here. I'm doing everything under the sun other than manufacturing the book, and this is what you're planning on paying me? It wasn't even yeah. worth what they're doing. I could do this myself and make more money. Yeah, because I'm and, literally, and I literally have to do the same thing, the same marketing plan. I'm like, what? Yeah, and that 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 opens up an interesting topic too, because I'm self-published, and my I have a over a 30 year background in the print industry, and you know, print and publishing are not the same creatures, but there is a crossover between them, and I know in yesteryear, being a self-published author author may have been a badge of failure trying to submit manuscripts to various locations being rejected. But I think today as the technology and as the print technology and as the ebook formats become available, it's becoming more and more predominant. It, and it we is. are seeing more people self-publish. And I know half of the local authors that I know have never even entertained going the traditional route. They just went it on their own. And right. you have, there's a good side to it. You have a lot more control to everything you do. But the bad side is it's it's all on you. Like it's 100% on your shoulders to take care of everything. But the, the truth of the matter is, and I, I discourage people even using the self-published uh, motif anymore. There's, there's no point to even saying it. Just, you're your own business now. Oftentimes that's your yeah. own company name. Just call it that. You don't have to say anything more. But yeah. I remind people that if you think it's 100% on you as a, uh, one that put it out yourself. Well, guess what? If you do attract the attention of a larger company, you're going to find it's like 95% on you. So you're not getting yeah. too much from them, but they're taking almost all of the money. That's right. Imagine yeah. imagine doing 95% of the work and they give you 5% of the profit. What's the point yeah. of that? Yeah. And and that's, that's the other thing I've seen a lot of times too is a lot of traditional publishers at today, at the end of the day, they see, I guess... One of the things I believe in is I think that when any industry, I don't care what it is, but especially when it deals with anything creative, whether it's the music industry or writing, when any industry becomes focused on money, at best it becomes compromised and at worst it becomes corrupted. And I think at the expense of creativity and innovation, because there's a lot of books that publishers have put out based solely on the fact that well, it has a name on it and we know it will sell. But it's not about... I think mo today's innovation in writing is probably going to come from the indie author simply because they're put, they're pushing the boundaries. They're pushing the limits of what is or isn't acceptable. They're taking those risks. And, and I, and I agree with you. And what's going to happen, and it's already starting to happen, but what will continue to happen is, is that folks don't have to go to see them first. They could do it themselves. And the reason they yeah. can do it themselves is because they need to. 
It's really how they'll learn to market. And when the book does well enough, those people are going to come to you. Now you'll be able to negotiate a far better deal for yourself. And you already know how to market it. And you can continue with That's it. That's right. Sometimes they give you an arm of marketing that could even be more powerful than the one you've had. And that's really all you need them for in the end is for someone to print it for you and help with some additional marketing avenues. Other than that, you're already doing all this stuff on your own. And that's really how people should try to go into this thing because I, I find it's incredibly um, unfair and, of course, uh, ridiculous that you could put a novel and even with an agent, it, it could take a year just for them to tell you no. Yeah. What, what what have you done in that year? I hope you wrote another book because if you That's just right. sat if you just sat looking at the ceiling, a year of your life is gone. I can't tell mm -hmm. you any how many writers I know that are sick, that have cancer, that have already died. Literally, your life is going down the drain for a bunch of idiots that really don't care about your work anyway. If you can't care about it, why should they? That's right. And you know, it, it's interesting you say that because in a couple of fronts, I look at, I I always use the, like the example of Edgar Allan Poe. He had a hard time when he was alive and writing, getting published, because they didn't want to look at his stuff. Today, he's considered one of the masters of uh, literature, okay. and, and I use that example as traditionally, traditional publishers don't necessarily know what is or is not good. They know what they think will sell, and you know that inhibits that creativity. And I think that's the one thing I believe wholeheartedly: that creativity, that little child inside of you, is the thing you need to keep alive. That's the thing you need to let jump in the puddles and you need to let run wild because if you don't have that, that creativity is quiet. It's silent. It, and you'll never do anything other than just put out words if you don't have that inside of you. You, you, ha you have to. So you have to have more than just uh, the creative drive. You just have to have you have to have the vision for what you want to do next. Because I, I, I tell people, and I don't want to be cute, but I say, listen, publishers, they only know about yesterday. Okay? That's all yeah. they know. Only you can know about tomorrow because guess what? They're businessmen. They don't believe in tomorrow. They only believe in yesterday because yesterday told them what, what sold and what didn't sell. That's all they can believe in because that's all they know. Only you can believe in tomorrow. Only you can make tomorrow. And then they'll believe. And until then, you have to do all of that. And if people realize that and look at them, these publishers and who they are, you know, it, it's almost like they'll be able to peek behind that curtain and realize – there's no terrible monster there. It's just a little weirdo pretending he's the Wizard of Oz, you know? That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great analogy. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you're talking about various authors you've known that has have waited or wasted time. Or the one thing I think that holds everybody back, myself included, is fear. Because I'll be honest with you, it's scary putting your work out there. Um, I may put on a good poker face, people might not see it, but it, it's a very difficult thing because now you're vulnerable in front of the world. They get to see what you've written and it's, that's it. They like it. They don't like it. Come with me. I mean, my, and I'm even more sensitive to that with, I even asked, I was on the radio last month and I was asked about fear and I was saying that, you know, yes, it's fearful putting out books. Most of the stuff I have out myself right now is fiction. And, you know, I don't like if somebody doesn't like it, but at the end of the day, it's just a story. It's not the end of the world. One of the big things that I get worried about or I get nervous about is when I come to release poetry because it's different. It's not just a story. It's It co usually comes from someplace pretty deep inside of you, and that's a touchy one. That That's, you know, that's just a fear of my own base, but that holds a lot of people back, being afraid of it, being afraid of what might come. It is, and I, and I never make light of a of, of person's fear because there are certain facts that we can't ignore. 
if you're mm-hmm. an, if you're an actor and you're in this movie and the movie tanks, well, guess what? You can blame the posters, you can blame the director, you can blame the studio, you can blame a hundred people other than yourself. But when you're out there trying to hawk your book and, and they don't like it, there's only one person to blame. There's no way to yes. go. There really isn't. Yeah. And that's that's very frightening because it's like, really, this is really hit and miss. Flip a coin. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, it is. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And and that's a thing, too, um, you need to get used to is when you put something out, you're going to get people that don't like it. You're going to have to get thick skin. You're going to have people that either just personally don't like it or you're going to get some people that are just trolls looking for a re- reaction. And, you know, I myself, I tend to just ignore it when I hear that because they're looking for you to engage them. And it goes nowhere. But you're not going to make everybody happy. And it's just a matter of fact. It's the way it's going to be. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an easy lesson to try to convey to anyone, either on paper or even on this on this show. Because in the end, no. um, we want to talk about the human condition and maybe ways that it can improve. And we want to believe... And, and humanity and, and, and earth and, and all those wonderful things. But sometimes you know, when you're at a table with your book, you, you're not always seeing the best of humanity. <laughs> and, no, and, no, and, and that could be very discouraging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it can. It, it, and you're on. And that's the one thing that's interesting when you're at book signings is you are on. You are in full on mode. You have to engage. You have to talk to people. You have to be fluent. You have to. And I, I have I've had one incident where an older gentleman came up to me, looked at it and the topic of one of my series. It's or the genre is one of my series is horror. And he had said point blank. Well, I hate that stuff. And he stood there. It's like, OK, then move on. You, what do you say to that? And you come across incidents like that. But I mean, on the other side of that coin, too, is uh, and I had one incident when I was at a uh, a coffee house doing the meet and greet kind of thing. A woman had gotten my first book of poetry and had came over to talk to me. And nowhere in that collection of poems does it specifically say it was about my mother passing away. But I guess it resonated with her. And she started talking to me. She ended up crying about it. I guess her mother had recently passed away and it touched a nerve with her. And it was, although the purpose was never to, uh, it, it, was the, it wasn't really a purpose of writing poetry. It's just to get it out. But it resonated with her to the point where it was therapeutical. It was, I guess the message was, you're not the only one. There's light at the other side of it. There's always hope. And it's, you know, it, I can't express how fulfilling it is to sit down with somebody and have that conversation. Like, it's really enriching to touch somebody like that. Whenever we're able to do that, it, of course, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful gift. And if we only could figure out a formula to keep doing it, because as, yeah. as you know, it, it happens here and there. And it does happen, yeah. but... It probably doesn't happen as frequently as we'd like. Yeah. But you need, again, you need to have those conversations. And going back to your original point about authors not wanting to market, you need to do that. It's not an option. You have to get out there. You have to, like, at the end of the day, your persona is the market, is the brand that you're marketing. The books come later because the more they know you, the better they're going to get into it. There are some situations you can't control that. Like, if you get your books into a bookstore and they're on a shelf. Well, the books have to stand for themselves. But other than that, it's the marketing. Again, we keep going back to this. The marketing is paramount. Yeah, because it's really, it's really where you grow as a person as well, not just as a writer. Because yeah. you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn a lot about 
how people perceive things and maybe you possibly can alter things later on to, to maybe tap into something. I don't mean throw away mm-hmm. I don't mean throw away your values or compromise your your beliefs or start writing about you know uh, baby elves running around with bow and arrows or anything when you when you used to write about monsters. But what I am what I'm saying is is that you might pick up or, or, or actually see things that you didn't realize before that you could possibly do differently that might make a better connection. So that kind of information you, you're just not going to get on your couch eating popcorn. Yeah. No, I agree. Totally agree. And those are and those are the things that, when people start doing them, I think not only is it possible that they can make connections and enrich somebody else's life, but they might, in many ways, enrich their own their own lives or maybe even their own writing because it it really adds another dimension that that's missing the the human contact. We're supposed to be writing for people, yet I got writers that are afraid of people. What the heck is that? Well, that's about? right. Yeah. You know. And and that's one of the big things too is it you know I've I one of the things that really touched me was when I two books back when I did the Refuge Chronicles I have a small handful of people I used to do beta reading and one particular story in it and one of the characters dies doesn't die in a very nice way and I remember when the beta reader I knew she had gotten to that point because I was at that was in the winter it was at Winter uh, Festival they have down here and I got a text from her and it was I'm not going to repeat exactly the words in the text it was all caps. And it was like three words. It was not very pleasant at all. But what was neat about that was they felt the loss of the character. And, you know, writing as well as the same thing. Because these are, they become alive. They become people you know. I mean, one of the things that struck me when I finished writing my latest novel was Narrow Sojourning. When I finished writing it, I felt a loss because I felt like I knew these characters that I've spent the last year and a half traveling with them. You know, through their successes, their triumphs, through their losses, through their suffering. And if you feel that yourself, the chances are pretty good that the reader is going to pick up on that also. And I agree. And I think that's a that's a really good example uh, of, of writing that, that has a, a, a personal as well as a professional impact. Because that that really means that you've learned enough from being around people that you can now instill a lot of their real qualities inside those characters. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you become not just a, a writer, but you become a parent, you know, that's given birth to, you know, things out there that wouldn't be there before. And, of course, you're going yeah. you're gonna to care about them. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it goes back to, I have a couple of people that always make jokes about killing off characters and, I'm not going to lie to you. In most of my books, I'm not afraid of killing off characters. But jokiness aside, it's hard. It's difficult when you cover those points because you've grown attached to them. You know, to some degree, they're extensions of yourself. And I guess that is some some truth. I mean, I I hear a lot from writers telling me that there's nothing in this this book about me or my life. And you have to wonder yeah, if, that's, that's... if that's defensive or if there's just stuff they don't want to like. You know. Admit to hard to know. Hard to know if it's denial or not. But I hear that a lot. I don't hear too many people saying, "Yeah, the fifth elf with the sword is actually uh, my uncle who's a jerk." You know, I never hear anybody say <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think a lot of ourselves, whether it's conscious or not, has to come through, because otherwise, anybody would be writing the same thing from writer to writer to writer. It wouldn't be any different, and they are very different. You know, we bring something of ourselves to it, whether it's our experience, whether it's a piece of our soul, whether it's 
how we view the world or how we want to view the world. It's it's important. It's valuable. And I, I do think liter, literature of our time is reflective of the culture at that moment. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we hear these horror stories and when a, a political uprising happens or a coup, especially in more um, dictator kind of countries, is one of the first things to get rid of is the intellectuals. They put a they they crouch down on the the artists and the literatures and the lyricists and the writers because they can shape them. They are the voice of the culture at that day and age. Yeah, I don't know if you heard my show. Uh, uh, what is a writer? And that, that had some I had some information and, and you know some stories about that very same thing. How they they'll come for the artist and the writer before they even come for the political rabble rouser because they might be able to buy yeah. those people off, but it's much harder to buy, to buy off a poet or a writer. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good and a bad thing, I suppose, depending on what's going on at the time. Yeah, I know. But they, the writers leave such a paper trail. It's kind of hard to buy them off because why would you trust them? And they just wrote something that says you're, well, that's right. you're a big jerk. But yeah, now they say you're a good yeah. guy. No, I wouldn't believe that person. You'd have to conv- you'd have to imprison or shoot them if you're a dictator. How can you trust them? That's right. The political person, you could trust that person because they, they change their opinions every other week. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. That's yeah, right. This the week they're with me. It's it cool. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you have to go after the artists or, or the intellectuals, the, the writers uh, when you're in that kind of a, a society and you, you, you're creating that kind of a, you know, evil presence. You got to get rid of those people because they're eternally against you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I... I I'm with a broad brush when I say this, but I think to the most part, very creative people, and this would be in music and this would be in literature and a lot of other avenues as well, is often they tend to be uh, free thinkers and kit and caboodle with that creative process. Because, you know, it's interesting with that creative process. I've always looked at it as, it, it, I always see it as something that manifests through me as opposed to the other way around i'd love to say i control it i turn it on and off but it's not it's not the case at all it comes through me i mean i wake up at two in the morning with an idea in my head and i have to get up and at least jot down notes or do something it's in the it's in the it's driving the car it's the one in control and we're just vehicles to get that idea out and i think there's a lot to be said about that aspect of creativity it has a life of its own i mean we legally we might be able to take credit for it but at the end of the day it really creates itself and that's one of the things i love about writing is i usually start a book where i have a concept i'll have what i call a map or a a plot idea and i've let ideas come on their own sometimes and sometimes it means rewriting huge sections of it sometimes the whole direction of the book has to change because the idea pops out of nowhere and it's an awesome idea and you run with it you know, and I, I think that's exciting because in, even in uh, in the Refuge Chronicles, there was one short story with an old woman in a scene, and originally she was just supposed to be one little scene, and that character took on a huge life of her own. She ended up being one of the main characters throughout the whole book, and that's exciting when that kind of stuff happens. That's when, you know, it, it's awesome. Well, it's it's excellent how you how you put it because you're right. It's really a great deal about about free thinking that's a, a real good portion of the artistic community but that's what makes those people so so dangerous so you, you'll see it through history you see it in, in current times because if you think about it free thinking means that 
there's no control involved. So uh, why would the, the political system like you? Well, they want control. The church, right. the church ain't gonna That's like right. you either. They want control. And guess what? No. <laughs> Even businesses won't like you because they need to have control to get something done. Well, how do you plan to make yep. a, 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 a profit next quarter? I'm going to free think it. Uh, no, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, no. No, but it seems that you make a great point when you say that. I mean, recently I got into a discussion with a friend of mine about the difference, and you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head, the difference between a free thinker and a conspiracy theorist, because they can look similar, but at the end of the day, a free thinker is questioning everything or anything, but they, they're looking for an answer. They're looking for a truth. They're open to it. Whereas most conspiracy theorists, they've already found an answer and they're trying to make the evidence fit the answer. And there's a big difference between those two things. And that's important. And it goes right back to what you were saying about being free thinkers. Yeah, and I, it's, it's an excellent thing to, to mention because I am so anti-conspiracy theorist that I like to round them all up and, and, and put them in a basement and until they start <laughs> actually learning about reality. Because the, yeah. the biggest problem I have with well, the conspiracy theorists is not only that they're not free thinkers, but the problem is is that these are people at the heart that don't want to take personal responsibility. Because remember, an artist, That's right. when they use their muse and when they find things and they create, they're responsible for it and they put their name on it. It belongs to them. Conspiracy yeah. theorists don't believe in personal responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault, you know? If, if you don't eat pork, it's your fault. If you if you don't like a, a green, it's your fault. If, if you don't like machines, it's your fault. They, they already, that's one of their problems is they already have an answer because they already have a cardboard cutout for their enemy. Yeah. They got it already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly true. I mean, I always, I always look at it like this is any good model, a scientific model is we, we find a theory that, so far, all the facts line up to it, and we accept it, but we always entertain the possibility that there could be evidence to prove it wrong. Whether we ever find it or not, it's irrelevant. That's always entertained. Whereas with the opposite of that, I call it the anti-theory, is they've already come to the conclusion, and they're waiting for the evidence to show up to support it, which could always potentially be there, but not be true. It's just a bad system. And it is. it's like you're right in what you say. It goes right back to there's no accountability. They don't want to take responsibility for it. And you, at the end of the day, you have to. No, because they, they they don't want to they don't want to live a life that has no answers. That they want to have a life that's completely void of mystery because they just they they have figured it all out. Well, nobody yeah. has figured it all out. If Shakespeare didn't figure it out, you're certainly not going to figure it out. Smoking <laughs> pot in, the, in your in your mother's basement over there, looking at alien videos, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. The people you meet in doing this, it's incredible. It really is. Now, I'm really happy that you brought some of your work over to, to um, Aerial Chart, uh, my uh, literary journal, uh, because oftentimes um, a lot of the work is, is individualized, meaning that it's not really part of a connection, a, a collection yet. A lot of times I have writers mm -hmm. that they haven't even put a book out yet. They're still working on that. In your case, you know, when you did The Sun and the Moon, it, it's almost like you gave us the title track of your cool album. Uh, but <laughs> what I was wondering, though, is... Uh, does that book continue in, in, in that, that theme of tone, or, or, or would you try yes. to do something else? No, no, the sun and moon, that is the tone throughout the whole thing. Okay. Um, it's going to be, and I'm not, it's not published yet, so take this with a grain of salt, but the plan is right now, it's going to be 11 pieces. Um, they're mostly they're all written right now, 11 poems. 
they deal with a topic of, and they approach it in a very different and interesting way. Um, last, not last summer, the summer before last summer, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And between now, let's not jump to the bad news. It, it actually about three months later, she was scheduled for surgery. And then two months after that, she got the all clear. There was no follow up, no chemo. It was, it's a good story. It's good news. But it's during that six month time frame where it's the unknown. You don't know what's going on. And then your imagination starts looking at usually worst case scenarios, right? Yeah. And that's where most of this material came from was approaching it from, you know, and I do approach it from a very different point of view, but that's where the vast majority of these poems come from, that kind of place. And the title track is Sun and Moon, and that is will be the name of the collection itself. Yeah, I, I like it called that sometimes, only because I do uh, I do music reviews and you know, we have a little uh, music uh, podcast that are built into the show as well that I do a couple of times a month. So <laughs> I'm always thinking about a, a title or a track or something and how they how they kind of relate. So that's why that's yeah. why I say yeah. that. But wow! So it, no, that's the, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, it's I, I didn't even know that 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 was occurring. So that's 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 something else. And to to oh yeah to work yeah. in the and the uh, the mystery and the stress of all of that is probably uh, not only creatively satisfying, but I'm sure it's also got to be a you know a bit a bit downs and too as well. Well, it is, but I mean, it, it's interesting where it it's easy on the other side of it to look back and analyze it, but it's not quite the same thing when you're there. And whether it's my situation, that particular example, or just in life. And it's always like that. And I find the creative process very much like that. When you're in the moment, you don't know there's a tomorrow. You don't know what's coming next. And it can be very intimidating, very scary to be there. But, I mean, I think that's part of that process is go through it, work through it, and let what feel what's actually going on in the moment. And I think writing is a lot like, I mean, I believe poetry is like that. But writing can be like that, too. It might manifest in a different way. But it's still there because you're not the same person you were last year. We're always growing and changing, or at least we're hope. I hope we're always growing and changing. Yeah, I, I say the same thing a lot too because I've, I've I'm known from my own experience, and I know from listening to other writers that sometimes uh, you get so numb through the course of a day of doing things that they're, they're they're important. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean numb in in that kind of sense, but the numb of raising kids or, or being in a marriage or, or going to a nine to five job that sometimes the only way you feel alive or maybe outside of all that is, is through something creative or writing or sculpting or yeah. singing or, or whatever. And I find a lot of, Absolutely. a lot of folks, they, they can connect to that. It, it becomes uh, uh, their, um, their private place to do something that they wouldn't be able to express otherwise. I mean, as you probably really aware you know, you can be in uh, conversations or even relationships with people that they don't pay any attention to any of this. None of it matters to them, and it, it, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. And it's not going to connect with everybody, but oftentimes the closest people to you are not really close to what you're doing. Yeah, it can be like that. Well, I mean, I believe... Um... I believe the creative process is part of the human condition in everybody. And it don't mean you have to be a published author to be, have that creative aspect. You don't. You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be a professional musician. But we all have it. And I think, like I said, I think it's part of the human condition. 
And that aspect of it, that creative piece of you, you need to keep alive. You need to have a way of having it out. You need to have a way of living it. And, you know, you make a great example with doing the nine to five job and having the mundane aspects of life. Well, life doesn't always have to be that. Those are okay. Those are part of life. Those we all have bills to pay. We all have, you know, we have those things in common, but we also have that creative sparkness. We also have that something that we can create from nothing and that is super exciting not just to do it but even when you come across other people doing it it's 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 inspirational is what it is i asked someone asked me one time and i've I've actually heard this a few times now how you know they can be creative in those so-called mundane things you know and there's a lot of answers to that you could uh you could do that whole uh you know, laying a, laying a gift or giving somebody a, something interesting or just a just a, a nice gesture to make life better and be creative about it. Or uh, you can, uh, I know one lady, she writes people little poems and then when she sees them out in the supermarket or whatever, she'll give it to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that, that's how she figures out she can bring that out, out into the rest of the world that she doesn't want the separation. She wants to try to like be part of it and be, you know, spread it out there and I don't know if anyone has the will or, or even the time for something like that, but no one says we can't give that a a, a try. Uh, so this way, not everything has to be, you know, two different worlds, the regular world and then the artistic world, because sometimes that's, that's really right. all it is. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, that, I don't think they're separated. I mean, I think sometimes it's a balance. I mean, you can do, like I said, my background's in print, and I've been in the industry for probably close to 33 years. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, printing can be pretty boring. But the plus the plus side of that is your mind's free to wonder wherever you want to go. You're free to imagine. You're free to daydream. You're free to – and there's there's a balance between different aspects like that, whether it's in a, work, a job versus your creativity. They can work hand in hand. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think whenever we could try to bring something more – you know, to our regular lives, maybe we should we we should try. I, I think it's an interesting goal to 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 try to accomplish because you don't have to be uh, making some grand gesture every five minutes. I'm not saying you need to be tapping, you know, a jig at, at the supermarket every other day or something. But who who's to say you can't do anything uh, interesting? Just to at least uh, bring that part of the life that you that you love so much into the other part of life that you might not love as much. I mean, yeah. Some sometimes you work at a job, it, it just it's just too hard to love. You, but you have to do it. But <laughs> you you feel if you say you love that that you just promise through your own values out the window, or you live in denial. Because sometimes jobs are just jobs. They can't. That's be, right. They can't always be fun. But um, yeah. maybe when you can make something fun, we we should try to do that. Maybe that'll help our own our own stress level out. Or maybe that even will help inform us on how to be more creative or, or, or be more just grateful of when you sit down to do something that is, oh, yeah. that is creative. Cause you know, it's a big difference when you're, when you're doing something creative versus when you do something that, you know, is repetitious and routine and maybe, maybe be even soulless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, one of my favorite scenes from the, I think it was the dead poet society with Robin Williams is where he stands in a desk in the back of the classroom and tells the students to do the same thing. And it's just looking at for what you see every day from a different perspective. And I love that scene because there's so much truth to it. Uh, think outside of the box. We get trapped in these what we're supposed to do scenarios so many times 
And there is no, I don't believe there is a supposed to do. I think you take it as it comes and you make it for what you will. And that's important. Your attitude carries huge amounts of, it shapes the world around us. I mean, we all can tell a story, you, me, anybody listening, of how great it is to be me or how terrible it is to be me. But we choose those things. We choose to be positive. We choose to be miserable. And that shapes things. And there's no reason why we can't bring that to the workplace. There's no reason why we can't bring that to our creative aspects either. You know, misery is a choice. Being happy is a choice. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I think I wanna, I'm thinking I'm going to try to come up with a few ideas on uh, for me or other people can try to be more creative on, on the other parts of our life and just make a show out of that. Something interesting that, that maybe uh, even if it, even if it just comes down to, uh, you know, I I, I wrote a, I wrote a poem and I blew it up on the Xerox and I put it on my billboard and I, every week I'm going to do a different one and put it up there. This this for people to read it and just for me to be happy that I have something out there. I don't even have to read it out loud to people. I could just put it out there. Something like yeah. that. Something yeah. that. That sort of strikes a, a a positive but rebellious blow towards the, the the things that we find can can be boring. That's right. And you know, you, you touch upon something that relates to a few topics we've already talked earlier about is that process of the fear, the process of failure. That and one of the things I find interesting is in the example you just said, write a poem, blow it up, put it up, whether it's good or not. And that's the thing people fail to understand a lot of times. When you first write something, whether it's a poem, whether it's the concept of a story or a book, chances are the first draft is going to suck. And there's nothing wrong with that. It should. It should be the bare bones. It should be something you come back and revisit. And it's something you work. Because at the end of the day, when you write a book, nobody that I know of is going to tell you, yeah, it was a walk in the park any day. It's not. It's yeah, hard work. It is. It's, it's a task. I mean, um, I've just recently had a conversation on Facebook with a handful of other authors I know about what's the hardest part about writing a book. And to me, I personally think it's emotional toil because you need to be in a particular place. It takes a lot out of you to get that out. And, you know, there's that aspect that has to be taken care of. But, there, you know, it's in the beginning, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. And we need to be okay with that. Even that doesn't mean that's what the final product we show people, but that's where it begins. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that because they are afraid in the beginning, oh, what I wrote is terrible. Yeah, it is, but work on it. Fine-tune it. Sometimes our writing, even though we didn't intend it, can, can help inform us or maybe puts us in directions we didn't want to go. I uh, mm -hmm. And I won't mention the, the, the writer's name, but I had a writer that, they went in a different direction with their novel, which they didn't expect. They were hoping to put together a novel that was more doom and gloom. And that's really what they yeah. wanted to do, a doom and gloom novel. Well, apparently one of the characters started believing in hope. And he saw how this could be interesting to the storyline because he could still do doom and gloom and, and do this hope thing. And he had to stop the, the book because he, he had confessed to me. He goes, you know, I'm not really a hopeful guy about things. So how the hell do I convey hope to a character when I don't even believe in hope? <laughs> so he literally had to go try to find some hope because he wouldn't be able to continue the book otherwise because it would be inauthentic. And he wanted to be yeah. you know, as, as, as correct as he possibly could. And uh, yeah, apparently it took him a while to do so. But uh, he, he did do so, and uh, he said he was better for it. He, he thought that in the end, uh, the book that's supposed to be about doom and gloom wound up being a, a way to uplift himself out of his depression. 
Yeah, no, that's good. That's fantastic. I mean, you, you make me think of something else too. Um, one of the genres I like is weird fiction, and it's a genre a lot of people may not be familiar with. It's it has it's elements. Weird fiction? That's it. Uh, it's actually called weird fiction. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it has it has elements elements of uh, fantasy, sci-fi, and horror in it. Um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote in that genre, maybe more towards the horror end of it. Uh, Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft wrote in that genre. And I think most of my material is in that as well. But what I like about it, a lot of people don't know, historically, the big names in it wrote around the 20s and 30s, maybe into the 40s. And there's some debate as to whether at the end of that it can continue or not. But you're getting the semantics. But what's interesting, a lot of people don't know, is when the weird genre of fiction was out, or at least where it have its birthplace, it was before a lot of publishing houses had genres that categorize things in so what i find interesting with that is these authors just wrote they didn't you know i could wake up tomorrow morning and say i'm going to start writing a romance novel now i've already pigeonholed myself into doing a romance novel regardless of what it can or should be and you made me think about that with the story of this other author he wanted doom and gloom and ended up being something else if you could just write, you know, don't put a label on yourself. Don't pigeonhole yourself into a particular genre. Just write. And if there's people out there or readers out there that are obsessed with categorizing it, they can fill their boots. But just write. Be, and that's what I love about that. You don't have to be – doesn't have to be a Western. It doesn't have to be a romance. It doesn't have to be anything particular. Have a story. Have it in your head and write that story. You know, whatever it ends up being, is it's what it ends up being. And now I agree with you on this, that for creative sake, that's exactly the direction and this is exactly what you should do. Uh, the only thing I digress on is that once that's done, you have to go back to trying to figure out what kind of genre it is. Because when you go into the, yeah. you know, when you go into the <laughs> publisher, they're going to, you do have to, yeah, they're going right. to ask you, what is this? And you're like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know, man. Um, Michelle just said, right. <laughs> Yeah, you just just said go. No, you're, it's funny because you touch upon some interesting things too. Uh, yeah, on the on on at least in my books in the back cover, right by the ISBN code, there is you need to put down fiction or whatever it actually is. So you do need at some point to categorize it. But I mean, it, you make me think also about a lot of people don't give a lot of thought to the covers, and I know this gets more into the format and design of it, but. I can't emphasize how valuable a cover or a good cover is only because, and we all heard the expression before, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. But sadly, that's what people do. When you walk into a bookstore, that cover has about maybe a half second to grab your attention or you'll move on. So it has to be something that grabs your attention, has to be relevant to the storyline. But these are design things that are important, whether you go through a designer, whether you come up with something yourself. That's really, really valuable. And another sidestep people don't think about is I've always believed that the spine should be thick enough to have text on it because if it's on a bookshelf in a store, spine out. If, if it has no text on it, it disappears. You'll never see it. And the last one about that is, and I've always, I always struggle with this one is the back cover. Yes, you have the write-ups or the reviews or the synopsis or whatever you want there. You have the, the, the barcode and whatnot, but the thing I always see, and in my case, mostly everything I have out is also available in ebook. So usually I use the back cover as a billboard. They'll have either a link or just a logo of the ebook format that it's available in. Because 
somebody walks into a bookstore, look at the back, they look at the cover, they read it briefly, and they they decide, man, I'm not going to buy it. But if there's a link in the back, or if on the back cover might be enough to make them think, oh, maybe I'll get the ebook, maybe when I get home. And at the end of the day, from a self-published point of view, I frankly don't care if the person buys the hard copy or if they buy the ebook version of it. It's still a sale either way. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, it is a great experiment. Go into a bookstore and grab any number of books and look at the back cover, and you'll see nobody markets the ebook formats or the ebook platforms. They should. I, I, I agree. I, I'm a publisher of ebooks, so that's what I do. I don't do anything print. So I have a, a small company yeah. that does that, and I can testify uh, to you that um, the cover and the book description are just 150% essential. If you don't have a good book cover and you don't have a good description, you're not even going to last 20 seconds before they're going to move on. I even have a tracking program that actually can tell the people who came what they used and how long they stayed. So I can literally tell if something's working good or not when you when you, when you you click that link. I'll know how long you've been there, what's working, what's not working. So it, it, it's all it's all essential for that because uh, things go very fast on the Internet. And an e-book is something, even though it, it might be quite inexpensive and, and, and easy to download, you know, people are going to make judgments in sometimes less than a couple of seconds. Oh, yeah. Well, see, that that's a mistake I see a lot of people make, too. Um, my, my primarily push for my books are in print edition, hard copies. Like I said, they're available for eBooks, but I've done the math recently and I, I admit I don't put a lot of marketing into my eBooks, but my eBook sales constitute about 2.8% of all my sales, which is low. Even if I doubled it, it's still, you're under slightly over 5%. Now that's not a market I'm focused heavily into. But I know a lot of people that talk about, you know, I've written a book, I want to get it out, and they opt to go into ebooks only, thinking there's no overhead. And technically there isn't. But the problem with it is you really need to market that. And I think sometimes because if you don't, you're just a title or a cover in a sea of potentially millions screaming into the void. Yeah. And that's where, and I think that's what you're touching upon too. You really have to know your stuff you do yeah and, and and also it's important that you already try to build up a, a a cache of fans or followers or friends or anyone to start going yeah. on on with the, with the sales but when you when you're doing the marketing on ebooks especially on social media you have to be a, you have to be a regular purveyor of that it's not something you do once a week and then you walk away and i think let me go look how the sales yeah. are doing if you're not on there on a regular basis every day trying to push something and talk about something it just won't move because people don't – I don't know why they forget this, but things move really fast. So whatever you might have put yesterday that got a few people yeah. to buy the book, it's already moved on. No one sees it anymore. If you don't put it out there again or do something different, yeah. you're going to lose all these other people. So it's, it, is a, it is a bit of well, work, about, but it, I, I find it a yeah. lot of fun, and it's, it's a good introduction for people to learn about – what sells, uh, what to do, you know, to get their writing out there. So it, it's it's a good way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And it, it sure. is very low. I mean, I, I think for me anyway. I think a lot of it has to do with momentum, whether it's in eBooks or whether it's in print. Is it, once you get a buzz going, once you get that momentum going, that's the kind of wave you want to ride. And sometimes the smallest hiccup in that will stop the whole thing. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate, but it way it is 
promoting it daily and promoting or there's some talk about and again this goes back to um you need to market you need to be whether radio or tv or podcasts or blogs you need to be engaged and find often many many authors are in they're not comfortable with that and i get that i mean i guess nobody's 100 percent comfortable but you really need to get up do that it's yeah, I, I just try to remind people without being without being too cruel or, or too rude that they, they have to try to figure out ways to start getting over that. I mean, because I'm not comfortable doing laundry, but I still got to do it. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah, been doing no, it for you, years. You I'm still not comfortable. It. I got a, a wonderful machine that practically does everything, including talk to me, and I still wish I didn't have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, no, I mean, it's 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 practice and comfort too. The more you do something, the more comfortable you get. I mean, the first time I was on live TV, I was nervous, like I could have dropped dead. But people tell me you look fine. I guess I have a fantastic poker face because that was far from the truth. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you become. The more you start realizing, yeah, you know what, I am capable of doing this. I am. And you know, when we push ourselves, we learn things. We learn what we're capable of doing. And you know, I don't think I'm special. I think we're all capable of that. I think we're all there. It's just a matter of we gotta get over that fear and we gotta try. I, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't agree more. You know, but um, sometimes I I don't think it's a a, a situation of, about a, a person's confidence. I really think it's just about uh, their their actual attitude towards uh, towards pushing something. Some people are ingrained uh, to not to not be out there, to not be noticed, to, to not be the center mm-hmm. of attention, and, and lots of that, you know, has to do with, uh, with with fears that we might not really understand or or, or possibly realize. But I think that it, it actually plays into why they have such an aversion to that and why it seems so anti to all the other stuff they've done because you know if you think about it just from a logical standpoint how do you invest 18 months in something and then you can't put eight minutes to do something to, to mention it it's just unusual yeah 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 for sure well, i mean that's what happens a lot people write a book and they get it printed and they say done and they sit back and wonder well now what well that's that's the million dollar question now what you need to, and it's it's a lot easier than a lot of people think. I mean, whether it's a local independent bookstore, or whether it's a larger chain chain bookstore or a big box store, it's not. It's surprisingly easier than most people would think to get your books in there. Uh, most places will do consignment, if not take it regularly, and it's all good. It's all I get get your books on the shelf. That's what it is. Well, I, I couldn't agree more, and I'm hoping that more and more people. As they hear this on a regular basis, uh, that uh, how essential it is, and they hear other examples like what what you've been doing and uh, other fellows doing with the conventions and the bars. By the way, I mm-hmm. didn't even know people were doing this bar thing. I, I, it was new to me when I heard that. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Plus, I like the fact that if somebody can have a couple of drinks and then they could, uh, you know, purchase something, why not? And it's not like they're driving, yeah. it's not like they're driving a car, so that kind of works out. Yeah. Yeah. That's another interesting one that's come up a couple times with me, too, for uh, book readings. I myself personally don't do book readings or poetry readings, and I guess I should in that case. But uh, it's just one thing I don't do. I'm not comfortable reading it. 
And there's been an event we did last year called Arise, and there was me and three other authors had did it. And um, we had agreed that we'd do certain readings at it. And what I didn't tell them, I kind of pulled this out of the hat on them, though, is I have a small handful of friends that are in radio. And, of course, they have radio voices, right? <laughs> so I talked to one of them and kind of said, you want to come and do a reading for me? He was happy to do it. And they weren't exactly happy because they were doing their own readings. But you know what? You, you have that resource, make use of it, right? Yeah, it's like baseball. And the guy doesn't need to hit him, use it then. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's there. Run with it. No, I haven't heard someone do that before, actually. So that that is uh, that is uh, interesting. Well, actually, there's no rule, like you were um, saying before. You, you can't go around this. Suppose this, suppose that. Sometimes you just got to do no. something. Yeah, you know, just think outside of the box. I mean, I recently got approached. The same particular radio personality had passed. Yeah, he was idea was uh, in my last book, the current book of poetry that I have out, A Dark Corner of My Soul. He played with the idea of having an audio book. Done. And it's not currently available in audiobook. And he has this idea that he has, I think it's seven local radio personalities that he knows oh, wow. that he's approaching to see if they're willing to do the readings of, like every poem would have a different voiceover. And, uh, you know, come out with an audiobook with that. And we could, you know, part of the proceeds would, would go to help this particular radio station as well as. And I think it's a fantastic idea. I mean, I haven't given it a lot of thought before. I still have to think about the logistics of actually properly recording it, and I don't have much experience in the format of audiobooks. But I mean, it's a learning curve, right? That's we learn those things as we go. I'm not going to pass up that opportunity just because I'm going to sit there and say, "Oh, I can't do that because I don't know how to do it." Well, we'll figure it out. Well, I I know because um, I haven't done it myself, but I know from other folks that have that uh, that was something that they all contracted out. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't do yeah. it themselves because I, I don't think it's just about experience and, and professionalism. I just think it was it's really about the, about the sound. Uh, they yeah, you have to get it right. Yeah, they wasn't enough comfortable with the sound, so they simply had somebody else do it, who maybe because of the equipment and the mixing and all that, yeah. but they were able to to achieve that where where they couldn't do that yeah. personally. Yeah, yeah, and that's another valuable thing to know too is know your limits. Because, uh, you know, myself, having a background in print, getting the covers, formatting the covers, getting it to a print-ready state is, from my point of view, it's a walk in the park. But not everybody has access to that kind of equipment or skill set. And if you don't, you don't want to come up with a cover that looks like garbage. So, you know, if you need to find somebody, contract somebody, by all means do it. And it's exactly what you're saying with the audio. I don't know. I have no experience in recording and mixing so there may very well be a way you know i may have access to some of the as radio studios equipment or not myself but people there and if that's a possibility awesome but you're not going to see me behind that board doing stuff because i don't know what i'm doing there yeah i'm just i'm really the same way and people were saying like wow you do a show and you've done so many episodes and blah 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 and I'm like, yeah, I'll even read some people's stuff, and I can even read mine if I wanted to. But uh, in terms of uh, doing an entire audiobook, no, I don't. I don't really no. think I have that kind of voice for something like that. And I really wouldn't try. I know. I know. I know there are certain limitations. It, 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 it's cute to hear somebody uh, with a New Jersey accent doing a show about literature. That's all great. But you know, in terms of their work or my work uh, uh, in, in a lengthy basis, no, I, I, I don't. 
I don't see that would work for me. And, and I'm okay with that. It, it doesn't bother me. I, I would want to do like everybody else has done. I would want to, I would want to contract out and be happy that yeah. somebody who's a pro, you know, will maybe maybe even give more life to what I what I could have wrote. Because, man, that's one of the problems, too, is if you can't feel that you can do it, you, then you're hurting your material, too. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a possibility, too. Which is probably why some people don't want to come on the show. <laughs> they figure they're gonna they're gonna ruin they're gonna ruin their stuff and everything else. And I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe, there's, the maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I I still think we can muddle through it until they feel comfortable. Yeah, come on the show and the people can pr- pull back the curtain and see that the uh, it's it's not this wonderful person behind there. It's just a regular human being. Oh, I know. I get. I I feel like that too sometimes. And you know, I'd rather people know me for who I am than any perceptions that they may come up with because chances are those ideas aren't going to be right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the biggest thing is that no different than anybody else. We're all the same and we're all capable of this. And that's one of the all, thing I always want to emphasize. I believe there's a book in everybody. I really do. And it's just a matter of getting yourself to the point of willing to do it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. It's just a, a, a question of of the of the work ethic, or maybe even possibly just uh, you know, the passion to want to, you know, to want to see it through. Because it, it is so, mm-hmm. much, it is so much to do. And when anyone uh, tries to do anything with writing, they'll realize that it's more work than it is, you know. Yes, sex, there's a lot of discipline. Glory. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. There's a lot of discipline involved in doing it because it is it can be hard to just say I'm doing it. And, and the, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know for myself, um, if I don't if the thought's not there, I'll park it because otherwise I know in my case, if I you know, you hear people say I'm just going to hanker down and muscle my way through it. I'm just putting a word after it. You're just putting a garbage is what you're doing. Um, it has to be it has to have a life of its own. It has to speak for itself. I mean, in uh, between the second book in the Symbiote series, The Hunt, and the third book, Necropolis, I parked that for 10 years before I came back to finish off Necropolis, just because it wasn't there. I just You just walk away and do live life, work on something else, because it has to, you know, I don't know if we would call that writer's block or not, but you need to be able to say, not right now. And, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think uh, anybody that can gauge, especially over the course of time, uh, their own, their own limitations on things, that that's probably better because it frees them up, and that's what it does in a way. It frees them up to do other things that maybe they are more prepared for, and then go back to it later. It, it, it happens a lot to people. I wish it would happen more because I have some people that I find their writer's block is is not really writer's block. They're just trying to force something that's not going to work at that time. Go do something yeah. else for a while. You'll solve it that way. Um, yeah. Sometimes when you step far enough back, you realize, eh, that was just, it's not going to work that way. And it, it, it's just that action of taking a step back because we can get so close to something we're blind to it. Yeah. And, and I, and I totally, I totally agree with that because in the end, if we're, if we're not, if we're not, if we're not careful, you know, we'll, we'll, We'll push through something and, and 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 ruin our efforts and maybe even hurt ourselves just because we don't want to call ourselves a quitter. Are you really yeah. quitting, or are you just simply temporarily putting something to the side because you want to work on something else? That's not quitting. Yeah. That's being smart. Well, yeah, and that's also it's giving value to that something else you might want to work on. I know, I know when I write, I don't write 
in a story in a linear sense. I don't start at the beginning and work to the end in a straight line at all. Uh, I'll have an idea or a, like I always like, like I said before, I'll call it a, a rough map of what, how the story is going to play out. It can change. It's liquid. But often I'll jump to what grabs my attention. I mean, in uh, in the third book, Necropolis, there's a reveal scene near the end of the book. That was the first thing that was ever written in that whole thing. And it sat there for the longest time until I actually caught up to it to try to connect the pieces. And I think it's healthy to write like that because if the idea captures you or grabs you, that's the, that's when it's in your head. That's when it's fresh. Write it then and then come back to it later or jump around and finish the other pieces. Or if you have to make segues to connect up the scenes, that's not hard to do. But that creative aspect, that's hard to do. I've had times where I've woken up in the morning like I said before, two in the morning with an idea in my head in one of those rare times where I didn't listen to the little voice in my head. And I said, yeah, you'll remember it tomorrow morning. Just go back to bed. And then you wake up and it's not there. You have like little glimmer pieces of it, but not, not the whole thing anymore. And that's tragic because you'll, you'll never get that back. Can't, I, can't, I can't agree more. And I'm just really glad that um, you, you have a, a real good uh, worldview and a real good in, internal view. Uh, of things because I think that it, it only prepares you to be a, a better writer and continue to put more projects out but also in, in many ways even though I don't know if you see yourself like that you can become to, to many people an instructor and somebody they can go to for some 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 good useful advice because those that have been doing a lot you know they still have a lot to offer to others that, that don't now, it's not the same things they're going to listen to you. Don't get me wrong. No. But it, it's still important to be to play that role whenever it's possible because some will. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that that's one thing I do believe in. It's, uh, you know, I've been involved. Something last year began, like, called Arise. And the idea behind it is group efforts of local authors doing ventures together, wherever they may be. But it's for exposure. It's to get the names out because that's the hardest thing about it, right? It's to, if we have contacts to get somebody on the radio or somebody in TV, there's no reason why we can't share them, help them out doing it. And that's one thing I've seen often is, yes, writing is a very solitary and lonely, can be lonely endeavor. But at the end of the day, when that, that part's done, when you're stepping out in the world, when you're marketing, it ceases to be that. It has to be very social, very engaging, some people, for whatever reason, believes that we're in competition, and I don't believe that for a second. I think if any one of us as a writer succeeds, we all collectively, collectively succeed because it sends a message out to the readers. It sends a message out to literary landscape, to publishers, to bookstores, and if one of us succeeds, we all ride that wave, and we need to look at it like that because if we start looking at it like a competition and hoarding information or whatnot, experiences, nobody wins. I, and I, I completely agree with that. It's another point that I mention in the shows a lot. This whole idea of competition is, is just ludicrous. It hurts us, and too many yep. do it. I mean, I, I got, I've talked to people that they don't even want to tell you the, the latest market they're in because, oh, God forbid, you might send something there. I mean, really? <laughs> what, what is that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's wonderful, huh? Yeah. We can't, no, we can't, we can't see the human condition if we're polluting it, and we certainly can't improve on it. If we're not doing anything to improve on it, we're just simply doing the same nonsense that somebody's doing at the water cooler at, the, at their boring job. And if we do that to the arts or the, or to the writing, we, we just harm everything that we're doing. And it's enough of, of the world not understanding what we do and sometimes not appreciating it. And then you're going to you're going to you're going to make it even worse by doing that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. 
All right. Well, Michelle, I want to thank you very much for being on here. I really, I really do. It's a, a, a amazing, a, a gift to have a, a another writer that's doing something different than we're all doing, but still has so many commonalities about what they have to face and, and what they have to accomplish. The the discipline, the uh, the, uh, the the great uh, message of marketing, which I can't stress enough. I wish more people would talk about that. So thank you very much for that. Just alone, it's my pleasure. A, a real valuable piece to. Uh, to our, 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 our inventory over here of, of episodes. I want to thank you thank again. Thank you for having me on. Did you want to like mention possibly like a website or like a, a way to contact you about some of your, your books? Uh, I'm on most of the social medias. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, my I do have a website. The easiest way to find it would be to Google my name, Michelle Weatherall, M-I-C-H-E-L. My last name is Weatherall, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-A-L-L. And the word Wix. And I think it's the first strike you'll hit. It's right there. And it'll bring you to the website. And there's plenty of stuff there. And more information leads you to great places. All right. Excellent. Michelle, thank you very much. You have a great week Thank there. you. I will. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com. <laughs>